This is Positively Farming Media. Want to be the first to try Ross Roos Farms Experimental Series Goat Milk Soaps and be surprised each quarter by what's in your shower, but in a good way? Then My Soap CSA is for you. Choose the CSA share that best fits your soapy needs. Each month or quarter, you'll receive either two or four bars of the latest styles and scents of the season. Ross Roos Farm Goat Milk Soap is made in Bainbridge, Ohio with milk from our farm, oils and butters that cleanse and soften the skin, fresh herbs and flowers from the garden or locally sourced, natural pigments, essential oils, and fragrance oils that have been thoroughly tested for skin safety and scent longevity. I never use palm oil. Bring joy to your daily cleansing routine and get your first soap CSA box by going to rossroosfarm.com slash soap. Welcome to We Drink and We Farm Things. This is the farm comedy podcast that is an adult happy hour for the farming community. We drink adult beverages, talk about the ups and downs of farming things, and give zero clucks about not having the perfect farm life. We keep it real with you and share the mistakes we've made and what we've learned so you can feel less alone in this farm thing. We drink things, we farm things, we drink and farm things. Oh, hey there. Welcome to We Drink and We Farm Things. I am Bev Ross, one of the hosts of this podcast. And this episode that you're about to hear is another replay episode from Living Homegrown. Now, um, in case you don't remember from last week, Living Homegrown was the first podcast that I had ever been on. Uh, I was actually on it twice. Actually, I was on it three times, but this is only the second one where I was telling my own story or I guess talking about myself. And one of the things that really kind of struck me about this episode was how swiftly things had changed in my own kind of homestead and journey in just like five or six months. So this episode is recorded about five or six months after the one that we played here on the feed last week. And in this episode, I have my baby goats. And this is really shortly after I had gotten them and really shortly after Sam and I started drinking Farm. So in fact, in the podcast episode, we don't mention Drink and Farm at all. I do believe that at least one or two episodes had gone out, but at the time I was still really nervous about sharing it um, and being judged maybe perhaps. And so I didn't promote it at all, which was really kind of crazy because The Living Homegrown was a really big podcast while it was recording new episodes. And I believe it still gets thousands of downloads every day as new people discover it and discover all the cool information on it. So there's a good plug and reminder to you to not uh, be embarrassed about sharing the things that you create and to be excited about them, to promote them. But like I mentioned, in this episode, it's only about five or six months after I got my goats. And it is really funny how things move so quickly and then sometimes feel like they move so slowly. Right now I'm in that phase where I feel like I'm 
not getting the change and the results that I would like as swiftly as I would like. So I'm feeling a little pokey right now in my own personal kind of development and pace. But when you look at this the information that's in this episode, it was recorded around March or April 2018. And now, you know, it's November 2022. You know, it's been almost five years, four and a half years since I have had goats. And uh, this is a good reminder that things can take time. There are going to be moments where it feels like things are moving really fast and then other moments where things are moving really slow. So I hope you enjoy listening to this episode of the Living Homegrown podcast and remembering the Bev that felt like she didn't know anything about goats, but it turns out she kind of did and worked really hard to learn everything that she could before she got them. That was how excited she was for them. And I'm still very excited about my goats. I think it's important to say that because I have recently realized that I have too many goats and I am going to sell some this year or early 2023 just because I've gotten to a place where I don't actually have the bandwidth to take the best care of every goat that I have. And I want to make sure that I always have the systems in place to do that. And I'm and I'm not there. So I still would like to milk and make goat milk soap and everything else. Um, so I think I will always have goats, but I'm going to scale it back just a little bit and make it a little more manageable while I kind of get my feet and foundation back down and figure out what exactly uh, I'm doing over here. So before we start uh, our drink peep this episode is our friend Natalie Quist, and she is at Cloud Lover Fiber over on the Instagram. So cheers, lady. And today I am drinking another one of our coffees from Ancient Valley Coffee Company. This one right here is the House Blend. It's uh, one of our favorites. It's one of our go-to coffees. You can get this on our website over at kringlesconfections.com. It is available for shipping. I would be remiss if I didn't plug my own coffee that I'm selling with my friends over at Ancient Valley Coffee Company. So... Cheers, Natalie, and I hope that you guys enjoy this episode. Today's episode is kind of fun because I'm bringing back someone that I had on the podcast about five or six months ago. Her name is Bev Ross, and she was on episode 122, which was all about lessons from a beginning homesteader. Now, Bev has a website and a blog called Ross Roost. And when I had her on the podcast, what we were talking about was the fact that she was just starting out in homesteading. She and her husband and her two children had been living in Phoenix, Arizona, and they moved to 12 acres in Ohio. And when I had her on the podcast for episode 122, we talked about her decision in making that move and how they were both still working full time. They were telecommuting with the jobs that they'd had while they were in Arizona. 
but now they were on the side starting to homestead. And it was a really interesting conversation. We talked about, uh, you know, what they were doing, what they were hoping to accomplish, all of the steps that they were going through. Well, today I'm having her back on the show. It's been another about five or six months since we spoke to her last. And they are expanding on their homesteading. They're still both working full time. And it's really interesting to watch her journey and her transition with all of this. And I also wanted to have her back on because they have started to raise baby goats. And the photos that she has been posting on Instagram are absolutely adorable. I will link to her Instagram and her website and everything else that we talk about in the show notes for today's episode. And to get to the show notes, you just go to livinghomegrown.com slash 145 and everything will be there. So I wanted to bring her on today so we could see what has transpired in the last few months and exactly what is involved with the baby goats that they are raising and what are her plans going forward. I think you'll really enjoy this conversation and it's interesting. It's really interesting to watch someone on this journey. I've always thought baby goats were adorable. I would love to have access to fresh goat milk myself. So I think this will be fun for you to listen to as well. Okay, so are you ready to hear what Bev has been up to since we spoke to her last? I am too. Let's dive into that interview with Bev Ross of Ross Roost. Hey, Bev, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Hey, thanks for having me again. Well, this is going to be kind of fun. You're a recurring story <laughs> on my podcast. So this will be kind of interesting, I think, for everybody. So in case anybody missed it before, you were on episode 122 called Lessons from a Beginner Homesteader. And we've recorded that back in November 2017. And we're now in April of 2018. And I know you've got a lot going on. But what we talked about back then was that back in November was that you and your husband and your kids, you picked up and moved from Phoenix, Arizona to a 12 acre piece of property in Ohio. And now you're both telecommuting while you're working. So you're still doing the same jobs, but you're working now from your home in Ohio and you started doing the homesteading on the side. So is that a pretty accurate description about how things were back in November? Yep, that sounds pretty accurate. Okay. And so at the time back in November, what did you have going on? You had chickens, right? Yes, we had chickens and they had just started laying. I want to say our first egg showed up like sometime in October. Okay. If I'm remembering correctly. (laughs) Yeah. And then uh, I think you have fruit trees or you had fruit trees already, some fruit trees on the property. We had apples and I believe plum trees. They didn't actually produce any plums last year, but I I think I have those identified correctly. Peaches and cherries. Okay, perfect. And so at the time that we were talking, you, you know, you weren't starting your garden or anything yet because you were just getting into winter, but you definitely had your hands full with the baby chicks and everything. So now what has been the biggest change since November? What's the biggest change at your homestead? Oh, it's most definitely goats. We have <laughs> we have some baby Nigerian dwarf goats right now. We've got three of them and we're getting two more in May. Oh my goodness. So 
we're not really sure if we're going to keep one of them because he was just kind of a, a loner goat, I guess, for lack of a better word. <laughs> they needed <laughs> they needed somebody to bottle feed him since I took all the other bottle babies they had. So I was like, yeah, sure, I'll hold on to him. But he's adorable. So I don't know. He might stick around, too, as like a weather. <laughs> oh, that's so, so cute. Well, I know I've seen your photos on Instagram, which are absolutely adorable. They are so, so cute. And that's why I'm excited to talk about this because I really have never covered goats on the podcast, only, you know, mentioning of them when people have goats, but haven't really dived in. And you're in the thick of it right at the beginning. So this will be really interesting. So let's back up a little bit. What made you decide that you wanted goats in the first place? So I've always really wanted goats, not only for their cuteness factor, because I mean, as far as animals you can have on your farm, goats, goats are just so adorable. I describe them as a combination of dogs, cats, and deer because <laughs> of their personalities. Like they're just so lovable. They love to rub on you just like cats do, but they'll follow you around like a puppy dog does and they love to play and they jump on everything and run sort of like deer. They do like this thing with their front hooves where they like move both of them at the same time and sort of like gallop along like you see deer <laughs> running. They're just so much fun. I, I could go on and on about how cute and fun they are. But what I really wanted goats for besides that is I'd like to milk them because I like goat's milk and I love making cheese also and I like eating goat cheese. So I thought like having some goats around would be fun because I could get all of our, you know, cereal milk and, and coffee creamer, ice cream, things like that, you know, make butter with all of the extra milk that we end up with. And they're great to have around. They're smaller than cows. So I thought that that would be a good place to start if I wanted a milking animal. I mean, we have the space here for a cow, but I'm also a new homesteader and a new animal keeper. So I thought things that I could, you know, pick up and wrangle and take care of with just my two hands was the way to start. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's super smart. You definitely, you know, starting with a cow would be like really throwing yourself in the deep end. <laughs> so I think that was smart. And I, yeah. I, I'm with you. I have always thought having goats, you know, so you could have the milk and you could make the cheese would be such a really fun project. And I know it's a lot of work too, which we'll talk about. But at the same time, it does give you instant access to the best of the best. And there's so much you can do with the goat's milk. Uh, so that's really exciting. What, what made you pick this particular breed that you picked? It was mostly their size. I wanted something small and manageable. And Nigerian dwarf goats don't get much bigger than a medium-sized dog when they're fully grown. Unlike the meat goats and some of the bigger breeds of milking goats, they can get rather large. And I wanted something that stayed small and manageable for the kids and also for myself and my car. We don't have like a farm truck or trailers or anything yet. So I needed something I could tote around in a dog crate, essentially. Oh, and their milk also has a really high butter fat content and it's also very sweet. So it's the closest to cow's milk that you can get as far as goat milk goes. Ah. So if you're a little shy of goat milk, like if you tried goat milk at the grocery store, that doesn't really taste like what fresh Nigerian dwarf goat milk tastes like. Ah, that's really good to know. Very good to know. Well, I'm sure your kids are really loving this. What are the ages of your kids and how are they feeling about the goats? 
But we have a six-year-old daughter and a 12-year-old son, and they absolutely love them. When we first got them home, they spent a lot of time out in their barn stall playing with them. It's tapered off just a little bit. You know, it's been a few weeks, so I think the excitement has sort of worn off. But the weather's starting to get nice again. And the goats, because we've bottle-fed them, they follow us around like a puppy dog would. So we can let the goats out of the barn, and we can just play in the backyard with them without being in a fenced area. And it's really fun. The kids are having a great time with it. They just chase us around everywhere. And yeah. Ah, that's so awesome. Well, I loved the names that you picked. And I know that's probably kind of a silly thing to ask. But I would, (laughs) I would love for you to tell everybody the names of the goats and how you came up with some of the names because they came from books. Yes. So one of our goats um, is named Tonks, and she's actually named Nymphadora Tonks. She <laughs> is a Hufflepuff from the <laughs> Harry Potter series, because I'm a Hufflepuff also. So I was like, well, <laughs> I got to name one of my goats after a Hufflepuff. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and we also have Sky, uh, and she is one of the Warbler children from the book series, The Unwanteds. It's an excellent book series. I I could talk about that all day. Also, I'm reading them with my 12-year-old son right now. We still read together every evening. So I love that. We did the Harry Potter series, and we also did The Unwanted series. So we're not quite through that one, but I wanted the goats to have names that the kids could relate to. So naming them after their characters is is one of the ways that we did that. We did that with the chickens as well, but we're talking about the goats now. <laughs> so we did not name the little boy goat. His name is Minnie Coop or Minnie Cooper. We didn't name him, but he was named that because of his size. He was only one and a half pounds when he was born. So he was super tiny compared wow. to all of the other little baby goats. So I believe that that's why he became a bottle baby. And when I took all of the farm's other bottle babies, which was Sky and Tonks, I took him as well so that he wouldn't be all by himself because otherwise he would have been a, a lonely bottle baby. And lonely bottle baby goats are loud bottle baby goats. Oh, uh, I bet they are. Yeah. Yeah. They really, goats really need friends. So I was happy to take him as well. And our two other goats that we picked out, one of them is named Darby. And she's just like this adorable, goofy looking goat. I don't know how else to describe her. The pictures that I posted in that blog post where I talk about her name, like just the look on her face, she just seems so silly. And (laughs) for some reason, I always wanted to name a goat Darby. It's a movie character. I I can't remember the name of the movie right now, but she owned a chicken inside a New York City apartment. And (laughs) I was just like, yeah, that is like a goofy, you know, woman. I totally want to name a goat after her. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. I love it. And then we have Lady May, which is the goat with the eyebrows. She, we, I don't know, Lovely Lady May is a song by Tyler Childers and like her eyebrows and just her sweet little personality. I was like, yes, she looks like a lovely Lady May. So we named her May. Ah, so good. I just love this. Yeah, really, really cute. And so that when I was reading about the names, I thought, ah, that's, that's really good. I know we took a lot of time picking our chicken names too. So I, I totally get it. I'm sure you guys had a lot of fun with that. Well, so let's talk a little bit about what it's like to take care of these goats because you got them as babies, which I'm sure is way more intense than if you got them as adults, but you wanted them to be used to your family and everything else. So what is really involved if you have baby goats like that? 
Well, baby goats have to be fed on a schedule. And when we got them, Coop and Skye were a week old and Tonks was nine days older than they were. So they were all still being bottle fed four times a day, which means that whenever the goats had to be fed, somebody had to be here to feed them, which is pretty intensive. I don't think I quite realized how intensive that was going to be. Like once you factor in kids activities and and other social things that you want to go to, you know, we had this race that we were already registered for that was going to be like an overnight thing. Like we had to set up somebody to feed the goats for any time that we weren't going to be around and feeding Mm. three goats at the same time isn't very easy because you don't have three hands (laughs) right right so if someone's doing it all by themselves that's kind of a challenge yeah it is and as they've gotten older they've gotten a little more feisty about it too the one tonks she was mama raised before she was bottle raised so she's really rough on the bottle like she backs up she bucks she headbutts it i think that must have been what she did to the udder when she was eating uh. i don't know how mama goat put up with that because <laughs> she had to nurse three other baby goats because tonks came from a set of quads so she's kind of a pain to feed because you have to hold on to the bottle really tight. And then the other two were never mama fed. So they're very calm and they mostly just stand there and eat, which is really nice. But it's still tricky to feed three goats at the same time. They're now down to three feedings a day. And starting at the end of this week, I'll get to start cutting them down to two feedings a day. And my plan is to fully wean them by around 12 weeks which will be very nice. I'm very much looking forward to that. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. With Grebley Farms Chicken Feed Fresh Packs, your flock can enjoy a farm-fresh recipe inspired by foods they naturally love. Instead of using soy or fish, Fresh Packs Layer Feed is made with sustainably harvested insect protein, vegetables, and whole grains, which keeps your feathered fam happily nourished and egg yolks bright and creamy. And every peck is rich with essential vitamins and minerals for strong feathers and eggshells, as well as probiotics to aid in digestion. Not only is Grubbly Farms Fresh Packs a great choice for you and your flock, it's earth-friendly too. Every bag recycles 35 pounds of food waste to lighten the load on landfills and reduce the emission of methane gas and protects 10 pounds of fish from being harvested from our oceans. It's a win all around. Save 25% off your first order of Grubbly Farms Fresh Packs and everything else they offer by using code DRINKINFARM25 at grubblyfarms.com. Grubbly Farms, a superfood for pets and a superhero for our planet. So when when they're fully weaned, what sort of food do they eat? Do they have special food since they're still young? No, they won't have any special food since they're still young. They'll get to graze out on the pasture. We have a pasture for them. We haven't quite finished the fence, but even if the fence and their little goat shed that we're building were done for them, they're so small, they couldn't live out in the pasture. We have coyotes and we actually have a neighborhood bobcat. We caught it on our game camera. Mm. So we're like, oh, Uh, goats can't sleep outside in their goat shed until we figure out whether that has moved on or not. But we have a really nice like big barn and it's a big horse stall for them. I believe it's about 10 by 10. So it's huge. They've got tons of stuff to play in in there. So they love living in there. But I also believe that all creatures deserve some sunshine and grass. So for now, they'll be moved out into the pasture during the day and and sleep in the barn once we get that fence done. And every day I try to give them some outside time. And then they need access to hay 
and hay has to be kept up off the ground for them. Goats are super picky. They won't eat anything off the ground. I thought that that was a urban legend or a myth, but no, once you chop it on the ground, the goats don't want to eat it. It's the strangest thing. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, unless it's straw. For some weird reason, my goats are chewing on straw, which is not food. Straw is bedding. Hay is food. And my goats keep chewing on straw. But if the hay touches the ground, they won't touch it. They also got like a mix of alfalfa. The brand that I prefer, it's called Chaffe, I believe is how you pronounce it. But I can't get a hold of that here in my small town. And I haven't found a place that's within reasonable driving distance to get it. But it's basically just like high quality alfalfa. It comes in like a packed cube in plastic, sort of like pine shavings come, you know, when you buy your pine shaving bedding. So that's what it looks like. And they get free access to that as well. And some people feed their goats grain. Some people don't feed their goats grain, but it's uh, basically like the pelleted goat food. Normally that only takes up about 10% of their diet though. And you can feed it to weathers, but it's not necessarily recommended because it can cause a buildup of calcium inside their urinary tract system. Mm. So normally when you feed that type of food to weathers, it's medicated so that it can prevent that buildup. Yeah, you've got this all dialed in. That's really, really good. How many goats are you actually keeping? I know you don't know whether or not you're keeping the one. So how many total do you have? We have three currently and we're picking up two more and Coop might go back. So our our plan right now is four female goats. But if we keep Coop, then we'll have four female goats and one weather. Got it. Okay. And then what is your plan for managing them so that you'll be able to milk them? Are you only going to breed one? Are you going to breed all of them? Do you have a plan? So I will end up breeding all of them. And I think I'm going to breed them on like a cascading schedule. Mm. I want to wait to start breeding them until they're about a year old. So that'll mean that the first one can get bred sometime towards the end of January, I believe was when she was born. Darby is the oldest one. And so when she's bred, she'll kid in about five months after she's bred, which would put it around May or June. And so the second, third, and fourth does, I might wait to breed them until they would kid in the fall because you don't want them going through kidding season while it's super hot. A lot of people have their goat kids born early in the year, January, February, and March. I believe Part of that reason is to take advantage of 4-H kids wanting their 4-H projects. Mm. But also spring is normally a really nice time of year to have goat kids. This year, not so much. That has not been our case this year. Yeah, (laughs) weather's been weird. (laughs) Husband's like, can we have our goat kids, you know, like in May so that we know that we're not going to have snow on the ground when they're (laughs) born? (laughs) Like, well, I don't know what next year is going to bring, but (laughs) yeah, I mean, March, April, May are probably a great time to have goat kids also. I, I wouldn't do it during June, July, and August. And then maybe again towards, you know, end of September and October. Got yeah. it. Okay. Oh, the, so this is really exciting. So I'm going to be watching every move that you make with these to see how it goes for you. And I kind of do hope you get to keep the male goat as well. <laughs> I think he's adorable in the pictures. Just so, He is. Yeah. Does he have a nice personality? He does. He has a great personality. And the breeder actually let me know that one of the reasons why you might want to keep a weather around, because, you know, I was 
telling my husband we were taking on this loner goat <laughs> for a little <laughs> while. And he, he kind of looked at me as like, really? Like, are you really going to give this goat back? <laughs> well, we used to foster dogs, maybe. I don't know. But mm-hmm. the breeder told me that weathers will let you know when you're those are getting ready to go into heat so you can be more successful at breeding them so if he has a job yeah it's possible (laughs) that he gets to stay around I mean when you run a small homestead you can only have so many just for fun animals yes (laughs) you know that's a really good point you can only have so many just for fun animals and that's absolutely true I'm sure you it's a lot to manage you do have kids that, you know, have events going on and there's school and driving and then just managing 12 acres. You can't do too much extra just for fun. Yeah. Yeah. Makes a good point. Okay. Well, so let's talk a little bit about how are you planning on managing the goats with the chickens? Because I think when we talked once, you were talking about how you might like to have them graze together. Yeah, that is actually something that I'm planning on doing. We're working on hatching some chicken eggs soon. I think I'll start those by the end of next week, actually, because I'm hoping to get a rooster. And when we get a rooster and we get the goats all moved out into the pasture, my plan is to bring the chickens out there to free range in, you know, the controlled pasture. So I use free range in air quotes, I suppose. With the goats, they'll help keep the bug population down in the pasture. They'll eat all of the hay that the goats waste when they're pulling it out of their feeder and it falls on the ground. The goats won't eat it anymore. The chickens will happily go in there and and eat it. And they'll also just have, you know, more access to sunshine, grass, bugs, places to scratch and peck around and sunbathe and whatnot. We have a really nice coop, but our run is kind of small. And I didn't realize it until the chickens were fully grown, like how small it really looked with all of them in it. And I think that they'll be happier and and healthier getting to do that. So they'll sleep in their coop at night and then be let out to pasture with the goats during the day on days that is nice. Fantastic. Yes. And, you know, I'm, I'm the same way. I have a very small run for my chickens in my little, you know, I live in Los Angeles on just one tenth of an acre, but my run is very small. So my chickens are let out every day because I'm the same way. I want them to stretch their legs, have sunshine, roll around in the dirt, all of that. It just makes for a healthier, happier chicken, which is why I have them. <laughs> so yeah, I, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Well, so tell us a little bit more about your chickens, because when we talked last, you had not yet had any, I guess I'd say chicken catastrophes, but we had talked about it and as anybody knows who homesteads, there's always ups and downs and, you know, things happen, always happen. So you have had your like your first, I guess I would just say your first chicken death that, yeah. that uh, happened on your farm. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, one of our silver lace wine dots got what I believe is sauerkraut. You know, one of the things about chickens is they hide their illnesses so well. So by the time you notice that a chicken is really sick, like, they're really, really sick. And and she was. She wouldn't come when I was throwing treats down on the ground. She wasn't hanging out with the rest of the flock. And I looked at her and I'm like, something is not right with this hen. So I grabbed her up right then and brought her inside the house. We have a, a no farm animals in the house rule, but when they're really sick, I get to bring them in the laundry room so that I can figure <laughs> out yeah. what's going on and clean them. And, you know, it was still winter. It was February when this happened. And We went through a number of things to try to figure out what exactly it was. I I bathed her. I checked her vent really well. I felt her crop, but 
you know, as a new chicken keeper, it, it's kind of hard to really diagnose and tell those things. And you're reading descriptions of things on the internet and everybody describes it just a little differently, I guess, for mm-hmm. lack of a better way to describe it. And we just could not figure out what it was. We turned their brooder into like, we call it sick bay and it's in the other barn stall because our barn has two barn stalls. Fill it, you know, with straw. It's got clean water and food and a heat lamp in it because one lone chicken in the wintertime can't keep warm enough in a giant barn stall by themselves. So we tucked her away in there and she survived the night. So I was I was very hopeful that she would end up surviving and we would figure out what it was. But when I went and got her and brought her inside the house and we were feeling her crop again, we must have disturbed it enough that whatever was stuck in there started coming out and she ended up aspirating while she was vomiting, I guess, because we didn't realize what it was that she was doing. So when the liquid came out, we were like, oh yeah, this is definitely sauerkraut. Now we recognize it. And we were just too late to to act appropriately. And she ended up dying. We were very upset, but I sort of feel like that's the way that you have to learn some of these lessons while you're homesteading. Absolutely. Yep. You can watch all the videos, you can read all the books and read all the blog posts, but until you've like touched it, smelt it and dealt with it, it's really hard to, to imagine all of the ways that it really plays out. Absolutely. So I have a plan for our next sour crop, but <laughs> yeah, well, and absolutely. It, I agree with you so much. And it's very devastating because you feel a little bit helpless. The first time I ever lost a chicken, it was exactly the same situation where you know, I know I'm with my chickens every day. It wasn't that I had ignored them for a week and suddenly like, oh, whoops, that one's sick. You know, they do hide it. They absolutely hide it. And when I noticed that one of my chickens, something was definitely off. She just wasn't acting herself. And when I picked her up was when I realized she had lost weight. And so you would never see it, you know, because they're so fluffy. So I knew something was wrong. And it was evening time. And by morning, she had died. And I never did figure out what it was. But it was one of those things where now I watch even more closely than I did before. It was a good lesson. But I think even if I had watched it, you know, sometimes it's already happening and it's something we can't fix. You know, we we can't always figure it out. But yes, I totally feel the pain of that because we do care about these animals and we're trying to do our best. But things happen and that's uh, as little, it happens on a little scale for me. But when you're working with 12 acres, I know it happens on a bigger scale for you. So thanks for sharing that though, because I want people to know that no matter how diligent you are, things can still go wrong. And it's not that you're being a bad chicken keeper you know, or that you're not being good with the animals. So thanks for sharing that. Oh, yeah. And that's exactly my sentiment, too. At first, I was really upset with myself. But then I sort of backed up and realized, like, I don't know that I necessarily could have prevented this. I made a couple of changes to the way that I do take care of the chickens. Like I make sure that they always have access to grit. They have a lot of dirt and stones and stuff around in their run. So I figured that they would just grab it from there. But sauerkraut can develop when they're not getting enough grit in their diet. So now they have like a wall mounted thing full of grit so they can get it. They don't take out of it very often. So I think my original assumption about their run was correct, but just in case like anything I can do to help prevent anything like that from happening again, when, when disaster strikes, you can sort of step back and reevaluate what you're doing and see if there is anything that you can change. But I think most of the time it ends up being out of your control. 
Yeah, absolutely. But that's part of having the animals. I mean, you know, we do our best. That's all we can ever do. And I know with everything that you guys are doing, it seems like your kids are starting to get more and more involved with taking care of all of these animals. And one thing I was curious about was if they were going to start doing 4-H now that you have, I mean, you have chickens, now you have the goats. Are they getting interested in that sort of thing? So they are really interested in 4-H. And in fact, Orion had told me that he wanted his first uh, 4-H animal to be a steer. And I, I actually oh, no. did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I did entertain that for a little while. And my husband looked at me and he's like, seriously, like, come on. <laughs> I'm like, all right, no steer. Like maybe we'll start with rabbits or a goat or something or chickens would even be a good start. But I missed the sign up deadline for them this year. There's just so much going on around here and they're involved in a lot of yeah. activities through their school also. So this year we're going to sit out for H. We're going to go to the fair again this year and pay more attention to what's actually available because our fair is a terminal fair. Not all fairs are. So I know that all animals in the meat category end up going for slaughter. So like there's no buying your meat animal back and not having it be slaughtered. If you mm. buy a meat animal at our fair, it gets processed. So I need to talk to the kids and figure out, you know, like what animals and categories they want to be in, what events we can take part in or animals we can take part in and, and have everybody be happy and feel like they had a good experience with it. <laughs> right. That's so important because you don't want that to be a surprise at the end. And, yeah, and it no. may make them decide that they don't want to do it, which is okay too. You know, if they raise yeah. this animal and they decide, nope, I'm not okay with that, then that's their choice as well. One of the things that makes this podcast so special is our listeners' stories, your stories. And to make sharing your story easy, you can leave it on our voicemail at 401-426-FARM, which is 401-426-3276. This quarter, we're looking for your farm stories about your farming firsts, our favorite mistress to bless and curse no matter the season, which is, of course, Mother Nature, and stories about planning farm projects or winging it. But really, we will take all of your farm stories because we'll be able to build future episodes around them, which will just be so much fun. That number again is 401-426-FARM, which is 401-426-3276. We can't wait to hear and share your stories. Well, I know you guys are going to be possibly adding rabbits. So what do you have for plans for other animals or what plans do you have now going forward with the homestead? Well, I think our next project is going to be hatching the chicken eggs. That'll be the first time that we get to do that. And I'm going to let Aurora be in charge of the incubator and, and hatching the chicken eggs. So it's going to be really fun. She's six. I think she's really going to enjoy that. And then I'm hoping that in May, I'll get to go pick up our meat chickens. I'm planning on raising some Cornish crosses oh. for our meat chickens. We've got our meat chicken tractor already built. And in fact, I did write a blog post about it that's got a SketchUp file of the actual chicken tractor that we built. So if anybody wants to recreate it, they can using that if they do woodworking and they use SketchUp. And... I'm planning on doing two or three rounds of those because I'm hoping to have enough to get through the year. And if it goes really well, we'll build another tractor next year and make enough for friends and family to come and help and 
get some meat chickens also, which will be fun. I'm a little nervous about butchering them for the first time. I mean, worst case scenario, if we find out that we're really terrible at it after the first couple, we can send that batch off to be processed at one of the meat processors nearby. Mm-hmm. You know, watch a few more YouTube videos or see if someone we know that knows how to do it can come here and show us and help us. And then we'll try again. And I feel like that's sort of our motto around here. We just like dive in. Oh, that didn't work. Let's back up and try that again. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and you know what? That is actually the attitude that you have to have because otherwise you'll end up sitting on the sidelines and not doing anything. You have to be willing to get on the field of play and give it a shot and just know that, you know, you might get a little bruised up, but you'll put on a Band-Aid and go back out and you'll be better the next time. And it's not and it works out at the end and you gain the experience. So that's fantastic. Is there anything else like with the garden that you're adding this coming year? Yeah, so I actually have some fruit trees on order and grapes on order. They should be here anytime. As long as spring arrives, I can actually get them in the ground. (laughs) But (laughs) I planted some fig trees last fall, but they didn't make it through our super cold winter. I tried packing them like the instructions said to do, like, you know, to insulate them in case the temperature got super cold, but it didn't work. They must have been a little too tiny. So those died. The company replaced them for me, though, and I'll get those back in the ground. We're going to have three pear trees. And then we also have three grape trellises. So I ordered three different varietals of grapes to put on it. And my husband has these beautiful garden plans that we built in SketchUp and we're hoping to get started on this year. But we have an awful lot going on. And right now, our garden plot is actually a giant pile of dirt because we (laughs) had to have our driveway regraded. So we've got to sort of get that cleaned up, get the garden beds built, and then, you know, plant some stuff in it. So we'll see. My actual garden this year might be mostly a container garden with just like a bed or two if we can get that all sorted out. Yeah, we're trying to do as much as we can with all of the spare time that we have, which is another word that I use in air quotes. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to say, what spare time? (laughs) Yeah. We enjoy all the work that goes into it. So so it it makes us happy to be outside and and getting to do it. So yeah, and it's a process. And I, you know, it's okay if you don't get it like, you know, plots in the ground planted, but by planting the trees and the grapes, you do have a garden and that's fantastic. I'm curious, what kind of grapes did you get? Do you remember? Oh, you know, unfortunately, I don't remember. It was a mix that was from Stark Brothers website. Ah, yes, it's I love like them. their red, white and blue mix, I believe. Okay. Was what they called it. Yeah, yeah. So I got two of those because I have enough trellises to put in two vines of each kind of grape. Okay. Well, so you'll have to, after we record, you give me the links and I'll put it in the show notes for everybody in case they're curious what kind of grapes you are planting. And I love Stark Brothers. They have really a nice selection of everything. So they're a great source. I'm glad you're ordering from them. Well, I'm really excited about everything that you have going on. And I'll be sure to link in the show notes to those chicken tractor plans that you have or to the posts that you have about the chicken tractors, because I think a lot of people would be interested in that. But I so appreciate you coming back, Bev, and telling everybody, you know, where you've been like in the last six months. So it's like we're doing like six month intervals of of your whole journey here. And it's really exciting to see you trying new things. So thanks for coming on and sharing. Oh, thanks for having me again. It's, it's a lot of fun to share. 
Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this replay of the Living Homegrown podcast and that, you know, kind of hearing a little throwback to where I've been is a good reminder to not feel bad about your pace. So that was kind of the purpose of this episode and this replay. Just to give you a heads up, there will be a few more replays. There are going to be some kind of different ones like these were to kind of mix it up a little bit. I needed to do some replays while I got ready for Sam to come back so that we can actually get ahead on the podcast and be in a place where you're getting the podcast episodes consistently every Friday because that's something that's really important to us. And fitting the podcast into both mine and Sam's individual lives and our lives as a team is always something that we're striving to make better and do better. And so this is one of the ways that we're doing that. And it also gives us the opportunity to kind of rest a little bit and not feel so scrambly and crazy during the holiday season because everyone is deserving of rest. So if you are feeling like you're pushing yourself too hard, just remember that everyone deserves a break. And if you need to do what we've been doing and pull some, you know, older content out to reshare, to keep going, you have it more within your rights to do that than you even know. So please take a page out of that book and do it if you need to take a break. All right. Our Patreon peep shout outs this episode are Ashley Davis, Angela Hollis, Tonya Harold, Kimberly Taylor, and DC Teitzel. Cheers, Patreon peeps. And thank you so much for being such a huge part of this show. If you'd like to listen to the episode after hours for episode 221, you'll go to patreon.com slash drink and farm. And the link to that and any other things that we discussed in this episode are located at the show notes over at drinkandfarm.com slash 221. All right, that's it for now. And until next time, drink, farm, and give zero class. Bye now. We drink things, we farm things, we drink and farm things.